Man, that was a great video, wasn't it? Just a great reminder of of just uh, how God works. You know, as I watched that and I that rainbow came up at the end, I thought about just the great flood and, and how that was a reminder of God's covenant to us, that God has a covenant with us. And even though storms may come, well, the rainbow of God's promise is always there. You know, we're studying in the book of Genesis, and what we're going to do is we're going to look, last week we looked at, at Eve and how God fulfilled a a messianic prophecy in her life. But today we're going to look at Adam and what the consequences were and, and how God in his mercy worked with Adam. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think in terms of those two trees again. Remember there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? And out of that tree, God said that tree is going to produce something. And, and also, just like out of the tree of life, it's going to produce something. So here's what really came out of that tree. Guilt came out of that tree. Condemnation came out of that tree. Okay? And separation came out of that tree. And then we're going to see this other tree, and this is the tree of life. Okay, and there's going to be some things that are going to come out of that, and we're going to fill those in as we go. But I want you to just think with me as we look into the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, it's the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 16. And here's God, and he's speaking uh, to the woman, and he says something that woman, women do not want to hear, but if you've had a child, you have experienced. And here's what he says. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Women, can you attest to that? Right? I mean, I was in that room watching three of our children, all three of our children being born, and I'm looking at it thinking, if men had to do that, we would have zero population growth. I don't know where the idea for, you know, women are the weaker sex. They are not. They are the stronger. If you can do that, ladies, and, and come out and want to have another one, I'm just amazed. Absolutely amazed. In fact, I think it was one comedian who said, if you want, men, if you want to know what it's like to have a baby, take your top lip, pull it over your back, bring it down to your hip, and that's about what it feels like to have a baby. I don't know if that's true or not, but it makes sense to me. So if you want to blame somebody... For the pain in childbirth, it's fair to blame your husband because Adam got himself into this situation, but also you got to go to God because have you ever watched, uh, you know, sometimes you'll watch on TV and they'll, they'll show you kind of the, 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 you know, the woman, she's crying and she's screaming and she's pushing and all that and the man's standing there and she'll look at him and she goes, I hate you. Well, why? We're just having a baby, you know, and it's just like the emotions are building up. And it says here, then your desire shall be for your husband, and she shall rule over you. Now, this is a shift that happened because of the fall of man. Because, you see, in before the fall, it seemed that there was some level of authority that, that operated in there, but there was more equality. There was more commonality. And all of a sudden, it says, you know what? I'm going to change the structure a little bit. You're always going to be equal. Men and women are always equal before God. And their roles are going to be different, and their, their capacity for undoubtedly pain is greater. Um, but there's going to be a different dynamic that's going to begin to function in that household. And then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree. So it all comes back to right here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And God had said to Adam and Eve, he said, in the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. And what you're going to do is you're going to know good and evil. In other words, you're going to start living your life. You're going to start evaluating everything on the basis of, is this good or is this evil? Instead of, is this life giving? Is this coming from the spirit of God? Is, is this flowing out of the heart of God? And the minute you begin to get into that cycle of evaluating good and evil, you're going to start to die. You're going to start to shrivel up on the inside. Have you ever developed a, a critical nature about anything? Uh, the first new car I had, I think I've only had three new cars in my lifetime, but the first new car I had was a black car. And you may have heard this illustration, but it's just so valid. It was a black car, and I was so proud of it. It smelled new. We had little kids. It was the first car we had that didn't smell like little kids and French fries. And, uh, and I remember I had it parked. I would always try to park it a little bit away. And it wasn't an expensive car, just, just a new car. And somebody opened the door on it, and it chipped a little piece of paint, and it had a little white dot on it. And I wondered, why did they use an undercoat? Why did they use it white? Why didn't they paint it black undercoat, right? And, I, and I, every time I would walk out to the car, I would see the dot. And I developed a dot complex. I really did. I couldn't see the car. All I saw was the dot. And I became critical of the very car that I loved. It was still a new car. It was still only a few months old. But all I could see was the dot. You know, and I thought about having it painted. And I thought, oh, it'll never match. I'm just better off with the dot than the whole door not matching. And you know you know how you go through those kind of mental things. And I, I even tried shoe polish. I got black shoe polish. I said, maybe I can just kind of masquerade the, 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 the white dot a little bit. And I rubbed the, the black shoe polish in it, you know. But I still saw the dot. I would try to sneak up on the dot. You know, you'd walk around the back of the car. I'm going to sneak up on the dot so that I can, you know, don't see the dot in, you know, in full force, you know, and that didn't really work. And so I was coming home from work one day and it was kind of busy and it was a, it was about five o'clock in the afternoon, maybe five thirty, And, and there was a long line of cars. It was kind of stop and go. And as we were going, the car in front of me stopped kind of suddenly. And I stopped in time, you know, to not hit the car, but the car behind me didn't. And the car behind me then hit me and pushed me into the car in front of me, and my little black car looked like an accordion. Happiest day of my life. I got rid of the dot. I know it sounds crazy, but that car, having been totaled, took care of the dot. You see, what God wants us to understand is he alone can take care of the dot in your life. And he does it through the cross. Because it's only when we die to the dots in our life that we can be resurrected to walk in newness of life. I'm going to show you that, what God does here with the dot that's in Adam's life. He says to Adam, you shall not eat of the tree. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now look what happens here. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you. So he said to Adam, for the first time in your life, what you're going to experience is labor. You're not going to enjoy the garden. You're not going to enjoy work like you did before because now it's going to be work. Now it's going to be toil. Now it's going to be sweat coming from your face. And so that you are always reminded of your humanity, it was from dust that you came, and you will go back into the very ground that you do not appreciate. You're going to return back 
into that situation. See, before the fall, they wouldn't have died. They would have lived physically in some kind of a dimension that we don't understand eternally had they chosen from the tree of life. But they chose the tree of death, and so they were going to start to experience these kinds of things. And it says thorns and thistles are going to begin to grow up. And so where you saw this perfect environment in the Garden of Eden and everything was wonderful and fruit and trees and, you know, I guess it was kind of like California without all the other stuff, but, but it was just a wonderful environment. But now you're going to fight against things like thorns and thistles. In the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are and dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Now, this is really interesting. It means the mother of all living. It was almost as if Adam was was still just in that whole mode of rebellion because when God says, no, you're going to die, you're going to go back into the ground, these are the consequences of it. And he says, well, I think I'll call my wife Eve then. I think I'll call her life. You could look at it the other way and say, you know, maybe he was, he was trying to be positive here and say, well, then we need to move in the direction of life. And I, I certainly like that version of it better. And in verse 21, it says, also for Adam and Eve, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, what's interesting here is remember how they were clothed before? They had fig leaves. And God saw them and he said, well, what are you doing? And, well, we, we, we discovered that we were naked in this whole process and we wanted to cover. We were filled with shame and we were filled with, with all of these things like guilt, condemnation, and separation. And we didn't know what to do and so this is what we did. Now, I want you to imagine the scene. Adam has named all the animals in the garden, and, and there's, there's just every variety we can imagine. But there's one, there's one particular animal that was significant in the heart of God from the beginning until the very end of the Bible, and it was the lamb. Imagine that innocent lamb prancing itself around the Garden of Eden, and suddenly it's seized by God, and it's taken, and it's offered up on an altar, offer, offered up on a sacrifice And now those skins are taken and they're covering Adam and Eve. And they stand there aghast at what's happened. Brokenhearted because now they realize that their sin costs something. It took the life of that little innocent lamb that was prancing around and happily in in the Garden of Eden. And now it was gone. And now they were wearing the evidence of that sacrifice. They were covered, their sins were covered because God required death and instead of, instead of physically killing Adam and Eve, what he did was he had a sacrifice. And the sacrifice was a little lamb. And the same sacrifice, that picture in, that, in those early chapters of Genesis is the picture of the sacrifice that we see throughout the word of God where Jesus Christ is the lamb of God slain for you and for me. And as a little boy, as he ran around innocently prancing himself and doing what little boys do, Jesus Christ knew he had a destiny with the cross because he was the Lamb of God. I don't know how much he knew in his childhood. I don't know how, how much he comprehended, but as time went on, by the time he came to that, to that, that public ministry of, with John the Baptist, he fully embraced and understood what it meant. He was going to be the sacrifice for you and for me. He was going to die for your sin, and he was going to die for my sin. And I would be clothed in his righteousness. I would, I, would, I, would be ashamed. I would have to realize it was because of these kinds of things that he brought me life on a different tree, Calvary's tree. 
And then it says in verse 22, the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us. This is really interesting. What an interesting phrase, isn't it? Man has become like us. Man has become like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that they, they now understand this whole dimension of good and evil. And they're going to begin to look at life through that set of lenses of, is this good or is this evil? We'll begin to evaluate people. Are they good or are they evil? Society will build up whole systems of trying to control the evil and try to reward the good. But it's going to be a, a different dynamic because now instead of operating out of this tree of life, they're going to operate out of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says, lest he put his hand and also take from the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden. So what are they done? They're, they're, they've been thrown out. They've been forced out of the Garden of Eden because in their sinfulness, had they taken from the tree of life, they would eternally be separated from God. You see, it was the mercy of God that put them out of Eden. It was the mercy of God that pushed them out and said, no, I have something better for you. I know you thought being in the garden and being in this condition was better, but no, I want to show you that out of the garden and having an opportunity to understand God is going to be the most powerful thing in your life. And so he drove them out uh, of Eden and he placed them, verse 24, he placed a cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned in every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So now they're out. What do they do? Where do they live? How, do they, how is life going to function? God was going to begin to show them, instead of guilt, God was going to begin to show them this concept of grace. You don't have to live in guilt. I want to show you grace. You don't have to live in this idea of condemnation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you uh, freedom. I'm going to show you um, I'm going to show you love. I'm going to show you all these things that instead of feeling condemned, I'm going to show you what I can do with you. And then instead of separation, I'm going to show you unity. I'm going to help you to understand what it really means to walk with me. And so as we look in the scripture here, we see that, 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 that cherubim guarded with a flaming sword every way to guard the tree of life. I want to take you back to something that happened in that passage. I want to talk to you about the thorn. And I want to begin by thinking in terms of a rose. Isn't it unusual that a beautiful rose has thorns? Isn't it unusual that some of the most beautiful things, they, 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 they're prickly and they're difficult to handle and they don't know how to really take care of them and, and yet realize that the original rose didn't have thorns? You see, changes occur because of gene mutations, what God created to be lovely changed. It changed in part and it became painful and defensive. It's a great picture of mankind because what God created to be lovely and beautiful, it goes through a mutation, if you will, or an adaptation to its environment and it has changed to be in part defensive and painful to one another. It was never God's plan. It was always God's plan to take us from, from that into grace. And it's only when we walk in God's grace and walk in God's love that we shed the thorns, so to speak, in our life. God continues to accomplish his purpose in creation even with thorny people. But the thorns are a constant reminder that we don't have it all together. 
The thorns are a reminder that we're not perfect. The thorns are a reminder that, that we break easily and that we can't hurt one another in life. Not only do we hurt one another, we hurt ourselves. I was reminded not too long ago, just last week, of someone who, um, who I was introduced to who spent many, many years really just abusing themselves in terms of, of a physical affliction with cutting and different things. And to see that person today, you would never imagine, you would never guess it in a million years. But why? It was because the thorns became so big, the, the guilt or the combination of the separation became so big that they punished themselves. It's akin to when you look at life and you kind of go through life and you don't feel worthy. And that condemnation comes on you or that guilt comes on you. You go, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel everybody has it together but me? But God continues to remind us of that. You see, people become like roses. On the one hand, they're lovely and they're filled with thorns. But have you ever noticed that when you grab a rose, sometimes you'll grab it and you'll get a thorn and you don't intend to because you didn't see it? Because thorns are often hidden by soft green leaves, a little covering a little covering for what's just below the surface. I think what God does in, in, in the same thing that many times a florist will do is they'll go through a rose and they'll, they'll literally strip off or break off those thorns. And they'll, they'll, they'll change the, the dynamic of what that rose is all about. And they'll, they'll begin to break them off, and then it's like God going through your life, and he says, you know, there's a thorn. Can I break that one off for you? There's a thorn. Can I break that one off? Can I break that one off for you? Now let's put the greenery in. And there's no danger there because there's not a thorn lying below the surface. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 17 through 19, uh, let me just read that again. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles that shall bring forth to you. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of the face you shall, uh, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. Reminder. But let me show you what God does. I'm going to fast forward you to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 13. Here's a story of Abraham and his son Isaac. He was the son of the promise. Can you imagine waiting your whole life for a boy? Finally, you get one, and then God says, I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And your heart is just like you love God, and you're broken, and you can't even imagine. This seems like some crazy, crazy story, and, and, and it doesn't make any sense. And he takes his boy Isaac, and they walk up that hill, and he puts the wood on his son's back. That's going to be for the fire, for the burnt offering. He fully intends to sacrifice his son. And as he takes him up on the hill there and they go and, and the boy looks at him and he said, Father, I see the fire and I see the knife, but where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. He doesn't know what it means. And he takes the boy and he ties the boy on this altar. He lifts up his, the knife to take his, his boy's life. And he's stopped by an angel of the Lord. And it says here in verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes. And it says, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. A thicket in the thorns that were brought about because of sin. And sin had trapped that animal. 
so that Abraham could come and take that animal and sacrifice it. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Let me take you a little bit further into that. John chapter 19 and verse 2. They got ready to crucify Jesus, and it says, The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. You see, just as that ram was caught in that thicket of thorns, so Jesus Christ, the thicket of thorns, if you will, a crown of thorns was wrapped around his head. It was a reminder. It was a reminder of what happened back there in Genesis chapter 3 when guilt, condemnation, and separation came, and God would provide a way out. For, for Adam and Eve, it would be that lamb. For us, it would be that lamb. And here we see it. We also see the sacrifice. We go into sacrifice. We begin to understand that as we move through guilt and condemnation, and we begin to see God's grace. You know, without a sacrifice, you experience condemnation. If you don't feel forgiven, if you don't feel love, if you don't feel like God gave his only son for you, you don't experience the joy uh, and you can't move forward in life. You see, you have to get an agreement with God. You have to say, God, I want to agree with you. I may not feel worthy of your love, God, but I want to get an agreement with you, God. I want you to, to, to flow over me. You see, God is for you and not against you. It may seem like God is not working, but what I have found most of the time, it's when God is working the most is when I think he's not working. Because God is taking your life. I love that scripture from Jeremiah we, we saw on the, on the video earlier, that, that God has taken our life. He has good plans for you. He has plans to prosper you. And you say, well, it doesn't feel like it. That doesn't mean he doesn't. Doesn't mean God is not working. You have to learn to say something like this. I know it's just a matter of time before I see the answer. I know that in the end, God is going to work good. I know that it may be like Joseph and we say, you know, you may have meant it for evil, but God is going to mean it for good because God is going to take you down a journey that's going to bless you beyond what you can imagine. In Genesis 3.21, remember it says Adam and his wife, um, uh, the Lord made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Let's take that thought and move forward into the New Testament. It says in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Oh, there's no law that comes and curses you. Having become a curse for us, it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Wow, what a great promise. I mean, just stop and think about what God's saying to us here. God is saying to us that what I'm going to do is I'm going to reverse all the price of sin. I'm going to take all that upon myself, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you in a way that you can't even imagine. But what you want to do is you have to rise up above the difficulties of your daily life. You have to look and say, God, I don't know where this is going, and I don't know how to get there, but I'm just going to rise up above it. I'm just going to believe that God is. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do you see that? God wants to reward us. And God also wants to take us on this journey of mercy. You know, whenever we have separation, we say, well, separation, God wants to bring unity with God, unity with man. And as he does that, it says he placed that cherubim in Genesis 3.24, placed that cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. 
And that flaming sword turned in every direction and and the way of the tree of life. And it seems like this is punishment, but in reality, this is the way of life. Because the sword is a picture of the word of God. And what he's saying is, I want you to know that the way back into unity with me is always going to be the way of the word of God. I'm always going to bring you back in through that way. You know, there's a lot of things that create disunity in our life, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's guilt, there's condemnation, there's separation, there's bad choices, there's mistakes. And uh, anybody here not human, would you raise your hand? Any non-humans among us? Um, you know, I don't know what I've found. You know, I, I've been pastoring for over 30 years, and I have been pastoring humans. And, and, I, and you know, if I wrote a tell-all book, it would be amazing, right? Every pastor would say, if I wrote a tell-all book, it would be amazing. Be amazing, you know. You, you just don't realize the depth of, of humanity and what goes on. And some of the stories that, that I've experienced, some of the experiences I've had with people's lives, you know, they, they still haunt me today in the sense that um, it hurts you deep in your soul. You know, the pain, the difficulty, the, the number of uh, people I've ministered to in, in, in situations of suicide. Little babies lost. I mean, you know, just tragic, tragic things. But, you know, out of all of those things came hope, came joy. But the one common denominator everybody had was they were human. And they made mistakes. You know, we make mistakes. I make mistakes, don't you? We as a church, we make mistakes. You know, we, we started this church with, um, with really just uh, not even knowing where we are going. We just said, we, you know, we were, we were in three locations in three weeks, first three weeks of, of, of our business. I mean, that was just like craziness, right? And, and through that whole process, you know, we learned a lot about ministering to people. We learned a lot about how to put things together. And we also made a lot of mistakes in the process. And I want you to know we're going to make some in the future. And so are you. And you know what? We're going to love you through them, and you're going to love us through them. Because that's what it means to be a family, doesn't it? That's what it means to be a family. You just love people through it. I mean, you, if you've had a family, you know you sit down. If you've got any kids, uh, that's, all, that's all that I need to say. Right? I mean, especially if they're teenagers. Mark Twain said when a kid turns 13, uh, put him in a barrel and feed him through that little hole. And when he turns 16, plug up the hole. You know? I mean, you know, and there's just a dynamic there. And I can remember times when I just thought, oh, God, why did I want children? And then other times I go, what a blessing children are. You think God the Father ever says that? Oh, God says, you know, to the Son, why did we want any children on planet Earth? You know, but oh, what a blessing they are. And what love they bring and what joy they bring to us. You know, it's just, in, it's just important that we minister to one another in grace and in love. You know, one of the things that, that I think brings uh, disunity more than anything else is, uh, is when people gossip and slander. You know, what an unfortunate thing. I want to just give you a couple of scriptures here. Leviticus 19.16, listen to this. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord your God. Stand up against the life of your neighbor. How about this one? Proverbs 11.13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. And then my favorite, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When I was pastoring my first church, it was a little, little small town, South Louisiana, you know, 600 people on a good day. Uh, plug in your razor, the street light dims, you know, one of those kind of things. We got our first traffic light. Everybody showed up to see it installed. I mean, it was that kind of a scene, all right? 
it was awesome. It really was awesome. You, there actually were stars there. I mean, you could see stars, and, and uh, I don't know what happened to them. They, t- they took them or sold them here in Louisiana and uh, Los Angeles. But, but uh, I remember um, going to a little conference, and there was a guy who t- told a story. I've never forgotten the story, and I want to bring it back to you right now. A story about a woman in, the, in a small town in Mississippi. And this woman went about telling secrets and telling falsehoods and half-truths on a neighbor. And later she found out that they weren't true. And she didn't know what to do. So there was a wise old man in the town. And she went to him and she said, you know, I need some help. Would you, would you help me? I, 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 I've done this. What can I do? And he said, do you have a feather pillow at home? Seemed like an odd, odd request. She said, well, I do. Well, said, well, go home and I want you to get the feather pillow and I want you to open it up and I want you to spread the feathers all over town. And then I want you to come back and see me. So she went and, and did what she said and not knowing any logic in it whatsoever and came back and said to the wise uh, man, said, well, I've done what you've said. Now what do I do? He said, now go regather the, pill- the feathers and put them back in the pillow. And she says, well, I can't. Because the wind has taken them everywhere. And he said, and neither can you retract the words that you speak. You know, the Bible, Jesus has two things that I think are really strong. One is this one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But the other one is, if I don't forgive someone, neither will my Father forgive me. You know what Jesus does? He puts Christianity down where where it becomes very, very practical, where we really live. And it says, I want you to live out this Christ-like life. Someone who says grace gives us what we do not deserve, but mercy withholds what we do deserve. Grace gives us what we do not deserve, but mercy withholds what we do not deserve. C.S. Lewis was that Oxford theologian and and, uh, professor of literature. Um, And on one occasion he wrote this, and and, uh, this to me was so powerful. Listen to what he says. He said, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. If we're going to live out our faith, if we're going to really be truly walking in the Spirit of God and and living out this life here, what we have to realize is that Jesus said, "I, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You see, they're, they're really components that come out of the tree of life, aren't they? I am the way. It's only through grace. I am the truth. That's the only freedom you're ever going to get. And I am the life, and that's the only unity you're ever going to find. The only harmony you're ever going to find in your heart is through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few life applications. Here's the first one. Reject judgment in order to receive mercy. Reject judgment in order to receive mercy. When my, uh, when my, my daughter was little, uh, she would get hurt, and, uh, and I just kind of made a joke of it, and I would say, you know, if it was just a, like a little pain, and she would say, Daddy, it really hurts. And I said, well, I don't feel anything. And she said, that's because it's not on you. We still say that today. She's grown and married, and, and uh, it's something will happen, and I'll say, well, you know, I don't feel anything. And she said, that's not on you. But you know what the Bible says? Bear one of those burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Let it be on you. Feel it. Carry it. Help one another. And then God's mercy is unconditional. You realize that God never put a condition on mercy. He never said, you can't experience mercy. No, my mercy is unconditional. 
And then good and evil are not substitutes for life. You see, good and evil never is going to take the place of this. You always have to walk in this, you know, uh, first before you can ever experience this. Because when you begin to see this, say, I don't like this. How do I get out of that? You get out of that in the tree of life, grace, freedom, and unity. And it brings harmony into our heart. Amen? I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray together. And I want you to, uh, I want you just uh, as you stand, just kind of close your eyes. I want you to imagine that you were, you were Adam or you were Eve in that garden. And you found yourself hiding from God. You might be hiding from God right now. You might be just kind of trying to, to, to be neutral or to be out of sight with God. But you're, you're kind of in the back, background of hiding from God. And then you hear his voice. And he calls your name. Just imagine he's calling your name right now. And he says, where are you? He's really saying, what's going on? You don't want to say anything. You just want to be left alone, really. You've managed a lot of life by yourself, and you figure you can probably manage a lot more of life by yourself, and you don't really need him right now because you've got a pretty good handle on it. But the reality is, he says, where are you, and would you let me help? And then maybe kind of reluctantly you you make your way out and you see Jesus and you say, I'm right here, Jesus. And he says, you know, the problem is you're not covered with the right stuff. You're covered with human stuff. You've put on not divine protection, but you've put on human protection. You've tried to manage your guilt and your condemnation and your separation and your own strength and it's not working. Would you let me take all of that and let's let's get rid of that fig leaf. Let's get rid of that stuff that you cover life with. And let me clothe you with life. My life. And now he puts on you a robe. It's really a robe of righteousness, his righteousness, not not yours, because apart from him we don't have any. But he puts on you this robe, and he, you feel the warmth of it. It's it's far more beautiful than you could imagine. You didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't pick it out. You didn't deserve it. But he put on you that robe. He says, "This is for you, my child. This is this is what it means to be in my family." Now, don't take it off. Don't try to get rid of it. Don't try to ignore it. Don't put another robe over it. Just be clothed in my righteousness and my love and my grace. You see, what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ, first of all, it means that you come to realize that guilt and condemnation and separation are not worth having. That being separated and isolated from God doesn't work. That you need a Savior. You need to come to Him. If you're not a believer, you need to come to him and realize that he wants to clothe you. He wants to save you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by him. It comes by a confession of saying, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he died, he buried, and was risen from the dead for me to have eternal life. If you've not done that today, I'm going to ask you right now to pray a prayer with me like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, 
I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. And by faith, I receive you right now, Jesus. By faith right now, I love you and I I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. If you've prayed that prayer, if that was your words, just thank him right now for saving you, for giving you eternal life. If that was your prayer, would you just lift your hand up right now? Just put your hand up. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Just slip your hand up. God sees that hand, and God knows your heart. Okay, you can put it back down. Now, Christian, you say, I know I'm saved. I know I've been born again, but, but I'm not living. I'm living my life more out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil than I am out of the tree of life. You have a robe. God put it on you. But maybe you tried to put on another robe, a robe of humanity. And it's masking what God wants to do in your heart. Take off that other robe. And just be fully loved and embraced. And then when you do, just hear Jesus say something like this to you. That's how I want you. I want you just fully trusting in me, fully loving me, walking with me, loving me. As the band sings through one one song here, I just want you to just, just enjoy right now this moment. You might want to come here to this front and just pray. You might want to make your way over to the cross and just pray. But let's just let God minister to you for a moment. Would you do that?